That's some sensational catch. Absolutely brilliant from Hooper. Was hit back firmly by Maiello. Hammered down the ground. It could fly all the way for a maximum. It's going to soar into the sky. That's the six they needed. That's 50 for Forbrush. What a knock that is from him. Outstanding striking. And that six brings Guernsey back into the game. Could be a catch. What a catch. One-handed grab. And that's Josh Butler, the captain. Oh, my days. We have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Under the Covers. Guernsey Cricket's very own podcast. I'm Ben Furbrush, Guernsey Cricket Development Manager. On this podcast, we will be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and other cricketing keen beans along the way. On today's episode, I catch up with arguably Guernsey's greatest ever cricketer, Jeremy Frith. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy Frith. Thanks for coming along. If we just go right the way back to the start, uh, born in Epsom, Surrey. How was that and what did your junior days look like? Uh, junior days were pretty much probably from being born, being brought up at the side of a cricket ground. Um, and yeah, obviously not wanting to be watching all the time, rather being out, <laughs> liking the idea of playing. So I think I got my first run out on a cricket pitch when uh, uh, somebody didn't turn up for one of my dad's games and uh, I was deemed old enough to be allowed on a cricket pitch at the age <laughs> of eight. So uh, yeah, definitely spent a few years ho- looking forward to this whole thing from that point on of hoping people didn't turn up and were late for cricket because <laughs> I, I got a game. Um, I, I listed that you've, you've played through the Hampshire age groups. Um, did you move to Hampshire uh, yeah, moved, to that. moved. So my dad was a farm manager, and we had a farm in Epsom, and then moved to Hampshire when I was about two or three. And yeah, for all intensive purposes, grew up in Hampshire. So. Yeah, and then with that, you went all the way through the age groups of Hampshire. Um, went on to make quite a few second team appearances as well, um, rubbing shoulders with some great players, you know, such as Matt Hayden. Uh, how was that? It must have been childhood dream. Yeah, I never got to play in a game with Matt Hayden. A few warmer. I, I remember. Definitely, having spent my winters in Australia, kind of being frustrated with some of the way fielding drills were being <laughs> done at, um, at some of the practices and suggesting things, but kind of being very much ignored. And then suddenly Matt Hayden came along and said exactly the same things I said and reorganised the drills. So I felt <laughs> slightly <laughs> empowered by that. But yeah, no, he was, he was a great guy, definitely to to be around and, and have and. Um, definitely, the time I was in Australia, watching him bat, and then obviously having around training with and getting yeah. panned around the nets by. It was, it, was, it was a great privilege. You mentioned Australia there. Did you do a few seasons overseas then? Yeah, three in Australia, one in Sydney. So luckily I think I've had about nine summers back to back, which was, right. which was quite interesting. Still didn't get a tan. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, a lot of, lot of fun and um, a lot of learning done out in Australia as well. Um, with that, uh, the Hampshire sort of didn't, didn't work out and you went and trialled with Gloucestershire as well. Um, what was that, your second team cricket for, for Gloucestershire? Yeah, so I was very lucky, um, I th- having probably fallen into the bracket of someone who uh, tried very hard and was obviously trying very hard, um, not quite getting to where I wanted to at Hampshire, but I did get the opportunity to play for an NAYC England 11, right. um, which, so they played games against Navy, RAF and the Army, and then we played um, the touring under-19 international team of that summer um, before the full England under-19s did. Right. So, uh, yeah, played against them, got four for 30-odd against Zimbabwe, which was which was nice. quite a nice day out. And um, 
we had a guy called Graham Wiltshire and John Brown who were coaching that team at the time and they basically said to me if I didn't get anything from Hampshire then to let them know and they'd they'd kind of try and get me in somewhere else so right. uh, it was Graham Wiltshire obviously that connection then that took me over to Gloucester all right nice um following on from that um with you sort of professional cricket didn't work out is that when you got into coaching or were you doing coaching before that yeah uh I suppose when did I get into coaching I suppose if I think back to primary school I'd always been kind of uh I've always wanted cricket and kind of um sort of a bit of an instigator of stuff so managed to convince enough of my mates and, and my class teacher at the time we should ha- enter the Hampshire um quick cricket festival <laughs> which was largely dominated by private schools um uh, rather than us state school upstarts so uh, we we actually Mrs Gordon my primary school teacher actually uh, agreed to enter us and we managed to get to the final at the old county ground at Southampton actually with one of about four teams so kind of from that point on I'd always ended up having some role in getting things started and and doing stuff and I think when I then when I went to Australia when I was 16 um probably in a way that people might have looked at me and go who the hell's this upstart (laughs) (laughs) offered myself for some coaching um so yeah and and work with various age groups so I've I've kind of coached in some sort of formal sense the age of 16 yeah but I suppose in some ways I probably recognize I was doing it from earlier and then you went to um down to Dummer uh, and ran the the cricket center down there yeah so kind of post Gloucester post kind of coming over to Guernsey and going back to England, um, yeah, set up my own business in England, uh, running sort of coaching camps. Having been told to get a proper job when we moved back to uh, <laughs> back to England, though coaching is a proper job, I was very <laughs> determined to make that very clear. Um, and yeah, so was coaching around various clubs and schools in Hampshire and running holiday camps and courses. And then the opportunity came along really to take on Dummer, um, right. which had kind of been through a bit of a rough. Trot, rough trot and was a, not working as a business so we had the opportunity to obviously locate our business at the centre and sort that out which coincided very nicely with a 2005 Ashes win Hampshire winning the C&G <laughs> trophy and suddenly cricket was popular No, Very good um, but before that you went and studied a bit in Sweden was it? Yeah um, yeah. always had a keen interest in politics um, and uh, um had a strong connection with Sweden <laughs> through a personal relationship for, for a while so um, yeah no very lucky actually had a great time in Sweden worked in a bar in Gothenburg for a bit and um, and that was a time where I didn't think I was ever going to play cricket again because I'd had enough of it <laughs> um, so moving to Sweden didn't seem like that much of a hardship Did, didn't you play some cricket on the ice there though? I did yeah. so but I think that was the thing within being, uh, being there for a few months quickly fell into various people who who uh, who knew cricket? A guy called Stefan Largerson, um, who ran a cricket club called Gutster, uh, organised a game on the ice actually in, in Stockholm on Lake Mellerin. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was frozen, it was very <laughs> cold, um, and I didn't have skates. So everyone else had ice skates, and I didn't. So I had to keep stand up, keeping wicket. <laughs> And every time someone tried to play a shot, the uh, the flicks pitch would slowly slide across the ice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the photo ended up on the ICC Christmas card or something for whatever year it was. And then, and then, following on from your sort of time in the UK, I, I think you moved to Guernsey in the early thousands. 
Um, living in the Nussbaumer's garage, I think it was. Living in the Nussbaumer's garage at the then Hoog Foo at the farmhouse <laughs> with a with a, a then more athletic Jason Shambrook. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you know Shambles before that? Uh, yeah, we. I was running. Uh, I was helping out with some district cricket in Hampshire and running, working on the county under fourteen program. And I think uh, Shambles had uh, a Guernsey team over a couple of fest- different festivals where I had teams as well. And we kind of got on really well and kind of shared a few reflections post-match as coaches do. Um, and uh, I think I said to him, oh, if a job ever comes back, comes up in Guernsey, give me a shout. And you know, I was living in Gothenburg at the time and it was March and the <laughs> phone rang and this voice came on the phone. Yeah, shambles saying did I want a job in Guernsey and looked out the window and saw the snow and ice that hadn't melted for four months and thought yeah I think Guernsey could be a good option and then with that um, I mean I've got some early memories I don't know what, what sort of years they were but uh, we were at the grammar school in the in the tiny little gym there uh, and I just remember music blaring out and just practicing sweep shots with tennis balls I think they used to be Friday nights for some reason yeah, that's, that's, but I think you were trying to keep us away from the town and that is a, that is a Friday night out for um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I don't know, I think the early days before we had the indoor cricket centre, um, and I think I sort of through my own experience, not always having access to the facilities you want, you have to be innovative and kind of find different ways of doing things and make the most of most of what you've got. So I think those early days of, of Guernsey cricket, um, and, and, and Shambles was a big part of it as well, was, was just really trying to think outside the box and have fun, but try and do things differently and give people the opportunity to hit lots of balls and hopefully yeah. safely as well and have a bit of fun. Yeah, and then uh, that sort of led us to trips like um, the academy trip to Abu Dhabi, uh, where we got to play against you know Yorkshire Academy, Joe Root, Azim Rafiq, uh, and then played against Sussex, who had several first-teamers uh, who are currently at Sussex, still still playing on those sorts of trips. Um, obviously, they were, they were tough trips. I think we're... Those those were really eye openers as to the standard of cricket that's out there that we were at as well. Um, but can you elaborate a bit a bit on those? I think uh, Guernsey's had a few tough trips. I mean, <laughs> the best the best bit about it is I think it's good getting tough trips against people that you know are quite good. And I think I think that's what if, if Shambles was sat here now he'd be saying, you know, we we, we remember some tough trips with Tony Kerr and yeah. and Jamie's age. Were, were you on the uh, Isle of Wight? When was yeah. it with? Yeah, Tony did mention that the other day. They got bowled out for 13, I think. Something so. like that. So being <laughs> bowled out for the Isle, Isle of Wight for 13 isn't quite as bad as making 180-odd against Yorkshire <laughs> in Abu Dhabi under floodlights with half their first team or half of young players that went on to play the first team. And I yeah. think Joe Root played in that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the, I think the nature of tough trips... Um, yeah. Will, should always be there um, but I think the great celebrate what Guernsey should be celebrating is who they're having tough trips against yeah no definitely um, I, th- I think one of my other memories of that trip was it, it was only a not only a tough bit tough tour on the pitch but it was also tough off it for you as a coach with uh, some guys not knowing what to have for breakfast or not even eating breakfast and... no. <laughs> that's that's part of the role of a coach isn't it is, is you're, you, I suppose you're also um, you're helping people uh to uh, improve their cricket and um, become better teammates and everything else, but actually introducing them to the world and yeah, yeah, uh, no, the idea definitely. of actually thinking in my when I did my level four, I'd ever be walking down an aisle showing someone what to buy in a supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what module that's on, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's all part of the experience of getting away, and 
I can remember on one trip helping someone learn to use a knife and fork as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's, there'll be some uh, good stories in some memoirs at some point. <laughs> um, moving on to sort of your playing time with, with Guernsey. Uh, your stats really do speak for themselves. Uh, 66 appearances, 2,640 runs, uh, 1950s and 600s. Um, what do you sort of put those impressive stats down to? Uh, obviously, we know you, hard work was definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. You, you were always in the indoor school, as much as I can remember, yeah. uh, just practising and practising and practising. Was there anything else that sort of... Facing as many balls as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think... Uh, I suppose one of the, the things with me, as partly as a person, is, I suppose, a level of intensity um, that I am kind of tend to be all in or not in at all. Um, so if I do set my mind and sort of say I want to achieve something, then um, then I tend to go all out to do that. Sometimes to the exclusion and detriment of other things. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I mean, obviously the hard work and all those sorts of things. They're kind of people talk about hard work as a thing that's hard. Actually, if there's a clear purpose for what to what you want to do and. Uh, and you can see a pathway to it. It doesn't actually feel like hard work. It's kind of it's easier to get into kind of a, a state of flow and a routine of this is what I do and this is how I do it because this is why I'm doing it. Um, and I think I think the whole buying into the the kind of a lot of the early pitch. You know why Guernsey went into the ICC. Um, and I suppose also having people like Jack Birkinshaw around and. A couple of people that kind of, I suppose, helped me believe in myself a little bit more, and probably being a late developer, I saw a bit of an opportunity to push myself in a way that I probably had not thought about when I moved to Sweden to do a politics degree, <laughs> um, and I suppose really kind of wanting to cash in on that. And I think also having spent a lot of time growing up within the Australian system over there, is there? There's always that idea that you're kind of five hundreds from playing for Australia if you're a batter, and yeah. that, that it is a meritocracy that if you're performing well, you get opportunities. So, I suppose having that whole um, kind of backdrop to it all, it was a kind of there was a kind of a fusion of purpose, yes, hard work, hopefully a bit of ability that had been built up over a number of years, and actually playing with a great group of people that kind of collectively wanted to achieve something. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't only, you mentioned batting there, um, but it wasn't only just batting. Uh, you took 105 wickets with a bull, strike rate of 16.64 and an economy rate of 3.62, which uh, is very impressive in terms of that we were only playing 50 over cricket. Um, along with that, impressive fielding stats, 35 catches in, in 66 appearances is, is very impressive. Um, so again, it wasn't just the batting where you, no. where you really focused. Were you always an all-rounder as a junior, or was it? No, just... I didn't. I wasn't allowed to bowl <laughs> until, I was, until I was about sixteen, and I think Terry Trod, the late great Terry Trod, sort of said um, sent a message out onto the field at about six, at one game. I think it was against Essex or something on an Isle of Wight trip. Um, they wanted me to bowl, and uh, Derek Kenway sort of came up to me. He goes, "Pretty." Troddy's told me that he wants you to bowl. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't bowl. And then, But then by kind of the age of 18, I'd kind of, I suppose, spent enough time bowling at second team players in the Nets at Hampshire. And uh, I think Mark Garraway threw me the ball in a second team game against a league rep team or something. And I got two for 20-odd. 
so uh, and it was always left arm spin. It, left, it uh, oh, I've bowled everything. Left arm. <laughs> there was a stage where I was trying the Paul Adams technique <laughs> at one stage. But no, yeah, Seamers did everything. So no, good. Um, the, the other thing as well. The other week, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was Cricket Europe released an article, uh, which I'll put in the link of the description of this podcast. Um, just about your career with Guernsey. Um, you're in the all-time top averages for uh, the World Cricket Leagues um, in world cricket, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, how did you find playing in different continents? Obviously, we travelled Malaysia, Singapore, uh, playing home here. We played um, some warm-up games in Abu Dhabi, etc. So how did you find that? Yeah, loved it, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, just I, I enjoy the heat and the warmth anyway. Um, I think I quickly learned in Australia. I mean, I think I went to Australia when I was, so yeah, I was still 16 by myself for six months um, and very quickly learned don't moan about anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and I think I kind of grew up idolising sort of some of those great innings, you know, Dean Jones in Madras and um, Atherton at Joburg, and they always seem to be done in the heat. Not many of the great innings seem to be played in uh, yeah. overcast grey conditions in the freezing <laughs> cold, it turns out. Um, maybe Gooch at Headingley or something against uh, the West Indies. Um, but I suppose, yeah, so I, I, I relished the kind of the challenge partly through, you know, the role models that I'd kind of looked up to in playing in some of those conditions. And I think getting your head around those conditions as a, as, as a, as a just in, in, in all aspects of the game, and but also when you, you're away over there is actually a key part of succeeding of, yes, it's hot. Yeah that ain't changing yeah. <laughs> you still want to go home being successful so yeah I kind of I really enjoyed it I like the culture out there I've been back to Malaysia and done some work out there and yeah I, I've been to India a couple of times so yeah it's you've got to enjoy it I think yeah no definitely I mean Malaysia was a fantastic trip particularly the year we, we won out there um, one of your greatest games probably for Guernsey was uh, we just sort of reminiscing before was against Suriname uh, here <laughs> at the KG5 uh, you took five for eight, and you also scored 106 off 86, which, um, realistically, for yourself, was probably quite aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dominant, dominating. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, is it? Because if you look at stats, so you could say that, that that could be your greatest game. But actually, I almost remember the, the, one of my favourite games I've ever played, and I probably didn't get that many runs. I think it was 2003 in Torrinchilla and Pierre Mooding hitting the winning runs out here and winning yeah. by two wickets and a real nail-biter. So actually kind of yeah kind of the Suriname thing was it was a bit of a, a foregone conclusion the numbers look great don't yeah. they but I, I wouldn't want that to be the measure of my career uh, 2011 was quite possibly uh, you spoke about being a late developer um, was quite possibly your best year uh, the Interinsula you scored 129 and then followed that up with nine overs four for 30 helping us defeat Jersey by 147 Bold runs. terribly as well that day, Sherbs, and got four for that. It's terrible. Um, and then in two weeks later, uh, we were in Malaysia for World Cricket League. Um, and again, you picked up player of the tournament for this one, scoring 258 runs, averaging 51.60, and picked up eight wickets as well. Um, was that just a case of you just knew your game? Uh, yeah, to a point. I think, again, I don't think I did too much too much differently I think again it kind of goes back to earlier learning experience I remember my first internship at the KG5 kind of getting naught I think being sworn out walking out to bat <laughs> being sworn out walking out to bat um, I think it was a much more hostile environment than probably what it is 
is now those interventionalism kind of at the end of that game losing going mm, not sure I want to experience that again yeah um, so I think ever ever sort of since that first one where we we didn't perform particularly well kind of realizing what a big game the Guernsey Jersey one was and how important kind of that momentum and being on top was between the two islands even if it's just a confidence booster um, you know so I think I'd always had a high level of importance on trying to perform and win the Interinsula because it's something people it's important to the island um, and then the World Cricket League again it was part of that journey we were all on um, of just wanting to win wanting to perform and yeah, hopefully having a clarity about how I was going to play how I was going to bowl what I was going to do but I think that was a there was a level of clarity across the whole squad in terms of yeah, everyone, no, definitely. Yeah. everyone know, knowing that. So it was a very I know it's easy when you're winning as well, but we had a very tight knit squad then as well, um, which made a massive difference, I think personally. Yeah. Um, and I and I was one of the sort of fringe players at, at that stage. No, I think and that's it, is that everyone was contributing in a way um that you know, every, every you know, every everyone was contributing in a way that um was relevant to them and but everyone was kind of maxing out I think yeah at most points in that in, at that time um, and I suppose kind of with hindsight it's a shame kind of we didn't quite kick on and yeah that didn't no, become definitely. a launch pad in some yeah. ways um, any other strong memories playing for Guernsey any other real standout Definitely, uh, yeah. I suppose a few of the interventions obviously talked about the one with um, when Pierre hit the winning runs, two thousand and three. Yeah, I mean, how long you got, (laughs) Sherwood? I I think the overriding ones is always again. I appreciate is you know I'd always very Hampshire. I'd always thought of as my home county, and I think when and I always wanted to play for Hampshire because of. The people, um, you know, uh, you know, Robin Smith had been my role model and idol, and you know, getting to play in games with him as captain and and do those sorts of things, you know, you you develop quite a strong affection to things. And I think when I left Hampshire, I didn't quite know why I was playing for, who I was playing for, mm. at different times. So I think what I did do when I came to Guernsey is get kind of find a, a community or a. Uh, a cause if you like that I could connect to and uh, and be part of which I think without that I wouldn't I'm not somebody who could just turn up and perform yeah without having a real purpose and a, a sense of why I, should, I was going above and beyond really which which I found here which I thought you yeah, know that was quite a big bit of helping me to be successful in whatever way I was yeah and then following this sort of um, or during your playing days of Guernsey you also took your uh, level four coaching badge um, which I think has to be registered as a degree. That was also through the University of yeah. uh, Gloucestershire. Yeah. How did you find that course? They're, they're pretty in yeah, detail. Really good. No, I mean, I've, I found it, uh, it was a great privilege to be on it. Um, again, you were kind of on a two-year journey with 16, 17, 18 uh, other people, peers really. So again, everyone from people who played test cricket through to people like myself who didn't quite get over the line with that. Um, but everyone being very passionate about their game um, and and the, and the sport and and it and it's a it's, it's it's difficult probably to describe actually I think it's one of the great things that ECB did is across all the cohorts of level four coaches was to create um, an environment where people could be open, honest, trust, 
um, share learning experiences and, and, and exchange views. And even when you go back and do the kind of follow-up leadership modules, you kind of, it's almost like going back to going back to your old school class in many ways mm. in the fact that everyone is quite tight-knit and um, and actually you can say stuff in a room that, that you know, doesn't really go any further and everyone respects yeah. that, whether it's views about players, experiences as a player or things people are facing at any one time. Um, it was great. And I think I remember chatting to Mark Galloway about it. He always said, you know, if you're going to do it, you've got to go in knowing exactly what you want out of it, I suppose. I didn't go into it knowing exactly what I wanted out of it, but I came out knowing exactly what I wanted, which, yeah, yeah. which, which, um, and I think it does that for different people. Some people go in knowing what they want, but actually it makes them question what yeah. they want, and uh, for others it clarifies. So, no, I found it a great process and incredibly privileged to have had the opportunity. Uh, and then alongside that, you are now are a coach. Um, modulator if you like uh, and tutor yeah. um, so you've also run uh, certainly a couple of courses for us over here uh, we did one last summer um, st- still keeping your you know your, your foot in the door with cricket still yeah. enjoying that side of it no I think the coach development piece is a big bit we're currently doing a project actually with UK coaching at the moment in terms of obviously in the, in the light of Covid coach education is needing to change away a yeah. lot in the UK from face-to-face delivery and moving a lot of that online that was a shift that was already underway um, so um, that's a great piece of work to be involved in but that's going to benefit Guernsey because obviously we do struggle to access training opportunities for local coaches particularly in sports where there aren't tutors and assessors yeah. um, so one of my great passions within the work that I do is is trying to build a, a kind of fit for per- fit for purpose coach education, coach development and support network um, that, that's right for Guernsey and, and building something that's quite bespoke. So we're, we're kind of in the middle of that project at the moment. Bowled him! Beautiful bit of bowling from William Peatfield. The stump comes crashing out the ground and that's a big wicket here in Guernsey versus Denmark at the KG5. That's the first wicket. Letizier is the one who strikes, he gives it a big celebration, he writes it up in a book, he notes it down and sends them off. You can add Manpreet Singh to that list. That's the breakthrough Letizier needed, that's the breakthrough Guernsey needed, and that's the breakthrough that Mark Ladder to my left wants a big smile on his face. And a wonderful shot there. Cover drive for four. Stokes already finding the boundary twice in this game. One other thing I really want to speak about and, and dive into a little bit more um, is during your playing days with Guernsey, you struggled a little bit with mental health. Um, can you elaborate a bit on that? Obviously, back then it was pretty much unknown, really. No, I mean, was it? I think most of that kind of goes back to, um, funnily enough, talking about mental health goes back to childhood, <laughs> um, which I suppose my uh, days when the educational psychology te- te- team would be uh, everyone. It's a very obvious thing that... Um, uh, if you experience any sort of trauma as a young person or growing up, that if that if you don't necessarily manage or deal with that properly as you grow up, then it manifests itself in in, in different yeah. ways. And I suppose kind of going through yeah family breakdown, um, uh, yeah, and probably not seeing my dad for quite a few years, and, and all the kind of things that went around that. Um, uh, you know, it, you know. The, you you feel potentially a sense of shame that you don't talk about it yeah. amongst your mates and you almost hide it and then that builds up pretty much over a, over a period of time where then it's something you just don't talk about and I think that's that's the key thing as well mentioning there you, you hide it 
none of us guys knew who were no, no, no. sharing a dressing room with you. you know, I shared a room with you on tour sometimes. So it was like, no, no, no. you know, it's, which is quite worrying in a way, I suppose. <laughs> There's a lot of things that worried about me, but that was the least of it. Um, I, think, I think because what, what you end up doing is you end up creating a very public yeah. persona of who you are and actually, in some ways you actually forget a lot of the, the stuff anyway. And, it, yeah. um, and so you end up not living, it sounds like living a, an alter ego, you don't do that. It's, it's you, you just live in a slightly different reality to what is actually your reality and you don't necessarily acknowledge things in a way which probably makes you a little bit harder to know, makes you potentially feel a little bit distant. But also I think one of the things I got very adept at both as a child and kind of growing up is changing the conversation. (laughs) So, you know, and and that's probably um, what you do. And then kind of eventually at life, and I think part of the level four process was great for that because, you know, you start to examine why you behave in certain ways, uh, what your values are, where they come from, um, and that inevitably takes you back to to growing up and and strong influences and and, and powerful situations you've been in, um, because they they tend to end up driving your thinking and what you th- what you believe to be important. So when you go back and examine those, there is a sense of opening opening up old wounds. It sounds very dramatic, but you you do go back to those experiences and actually realize actually they have had quite a fundamental impact on how you've ended up behaving so for me one of the things I think cricket did for me was give me you know I definitely developed this sense of need to achieve um, and needing to be successful and push myself um, and within that also became a sense of I could you can create this bubble around yourself where you're immersed in something which actually is a really helpful place yeah. to be in because yeah. you're fascinated and, and certainly you know when you start looking at the research of, of children with adverse childhood experiences is where they don't have a community or feel part of something that's that's where um, they don't necessarily have that escape from from the challenges or, or an at- alternative choice from the situation they're in so yeah cricket for me was an incredibly important thing to be intense about and yeah. to be passionate about because it, it gave me a sense of uh, a sense of purpose and identity that maybe I was struggling with at the time. Yeah, and I think it sort of leads on to the, the next stage of, of your life. Um, you launched your own business, Frith Sykes, um, looking at performance and personal development, uh, and also launched a book, um, which again I'll link in the in the bio, uh, the Growth Mindset Coaching Kit. Um, can you explain a bit more about the book and, and how that sort of came about? Uh cynically I was saying wanting to make a few quid but <laughs> no um, I think you know the growth mindset stuff was kind of something I came across through the level 4 process and, and doing research and but also because it encapsulated a lot of the, the challenges that I was facing in terms of trying to support young players with and how you know trying to challenge myself a little bit what, okay what, what can I do differently to to help players and, and that kind of work snowballed because it turns out that not only in cricket do people uh, sometimes shy away from challenges but in other parts of uh, uh, life including academia and, and work really so um, the work that we started doing around that kind of got picked up by education and then kind of got seconded over to education working in educational psychology service to do that in schools 
And I think we just ended up developing so many materials um, that you end up thinking, well, crikey, what am I going to do with it? Or then someone pops out, I should write a book. And I remember us having about six, seven, eight months really of, of, of us thinking, well, we should probably write a book, but kind of never saw myself bleeding words out, was stuck yeah. by a candle and a typewriter. Um, and then I kind of uh, got to the idea of actually it wanted to be more of a manual. So we ended up taking essentially a lot of the training we developed that was represented within PowerPoints and activities and essentially adapting that to the point I actually wrote the book in PowerPoint <laughs> which made sense to me but when you take it to a publisher and a, and a printer and say it's in PowerPoint <laughs> word they could cope with so there was another process of uh, spacing everything out and transferring documents so yeah great learning process to go through um, but yeah and, and, and actually nice to have kind of captured all of that learning in um, in, a, in a book yeah, and then uh, that sort of leads a little bit into your role with the Sports Commission as well. Um, so you've been there, quite, I didn't actually realise quite how long you've actually been there. 10 years. <laughs> yeah, not so, almost, yeah, yeah, I checked that up yesterday and I, was, I didn't realise it was 10 years. But um, do you want to explain a little bit more about your role with, within the Sports Commission? Yeah, I don't think I've had one job <laughs> since probably 2009 or something ridiculous like that. I think I've had, a, you know, started with coming back full time with the cricket ball, getting seconded to the commission, uh, going doing a bit more with the commission, being self-employed, going back to the Guernsey cricket, then picking up the work with education and being split between education and the sports commission, then getting employed by the education and <laughs> seconded back to the sports commission. And uh, and then that's a common back to the sports commission increasing kind of more around the work we're doing with um, schools and the action plan and, and, and supporting uh, the sports commission's growth uh, in line with sort of ESC really. So yeah. kind of... Yeah, incredibly privileged to have kind of worked across all those different contexts. But and I think that's almost what you almost have to do in Guernsey, particularly working in in sport or in those areas, is you don't necessarily get to follow a, a kind of linear path of progressions through one organisation. Is you have to kind of go yeah. work laterally, and I suppose it gives you a good insight and a, a broader spectrum to work from as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I suppose one of the frustrations people can have with Guernsey is talking about silo working and um, people working in their individual kind of worlds and forgetting what's going on else out there. And we, we are too small to do that. But that involves us actually really understanding what other departments do, what other organisations do, what people do, building networks and building people. So I kind of I th- like to think that one of the things I've been able to do is is build relationships between education and and sport and a lot of those were in place anyway but you know making it operational and and bringing it to life a bit and you know we've got more challenges to to do that on a wider scale going forwards as well yeah and then um outside of work uh you're still playing cricket still still churning him out i think you're 43 now i think it is no it's 34 we've got the number Um, and most recently you've been back playing with, with Spileshot, um, which yeah. uh, was that your junior club? That's right, that's yeah. kind of, yeah. My dad played at Micklemarsh and Timsbury, um, and I got told at about, I think, age 10 um, whether I should probably start looking to go to a club with a, a, a higher standard, which was which was fine. I carried on playing for Micklemarsh and Timsbury all the way through. But yeah, I started playing my cricket at Spileshot from the age of 10 or 11, and only ever played for one other club in England, which was Finch Hampstead in 2006-7. Right. So I'd always played there. And then I was going back, spending a lot more time, just because uh, having to, you know, wanting to be around it. 
uh, home a little bit more in England, needing help mum out a bit, and uh, kind of thought I'm not going to play. Having finished playing for Guernsey, I'm going to go and do all these other things, and obviously didn't do any of them. <laughs> <laughs> found myself at the cricket ground, and uh, found myself then the following week playing. And by all of a sudden, I played eight games, and then I was going to be captain the next year. And, play, <laughs> and I don't think I think I yeah, played every game. Oh, yeah, hadn't missed a game, travelling back and forth every weekend for three years. So yeah, love it. Yeah, well, I think we used to bump into each other at uh, the airport when I was doing the same, going the same way for Middleton uh, yeah. in the Sussex Prem. So, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of, I suppose, the last bit of kind of not closure on a career. It sounds awfully final, but I suppose there was a sense of wanting to, the club spa shop was struggling a little bit, um, at kind of all levels, governance-wise, um, playing-wise, pitch-wise. You know, it's one of the most beautiful places to play in Hampshire. Um and there were three or four of us that all decided to kind of go back simultaneously and want to do yeah. it properly. And I remember we all walked off at the end of the first year and going, this isn't happening again next year. So one of my mates took on the grounds job. I took on the captaincy. We've got a couple of other players. And uh, kind of one or two people decided to, the, to leave the club because the club had changed. <laughs> and that was absolutely fine because it needed to. And they, yeah. and they that was probably a good decision for them. But... Um, yeah definitely it's, it's been great over the last three years getting promoted out of Div 2 to Div 1 um, and kind of I suppose where I wanted to get them to is get them up in the Premier League we've had our highest highest ever finish in the club's history um, but kind of wanting to kind of leave the club that started me off in a in a really good sustainable position where I kind of you know it's going to be around for the next yeah. 50 years really which kind of that was obviously in question a few years ago so and it's great, you know, mum, all our parents, yeah. Isla comes over and, um, you know, it's lovely to be sat, stood on a cricket pitch with your mates age 43 with your parents sat there doing exactly <laughs> what they were doing 30 yeah. years ago. I think, I think that's one thing which we miss a little bit in Guernsey. Obviously, um, we do have the clubs in Guernsey, but you never have your, your own club as such because we play at uh, different venues. Um, whereas, yeah, in the UK, you always go back to your club for a drink. If you're on a away trip, it doesn't matter if you're two hours away, three hours away. Um, which is quite a nice feeling. Which is yeah. The there's also weaknesses to it, though, Ferbs, because like I mean, I remember growing up. You know, you're really competitive and you're wanting to prove yourself, and you end up with all these kind of uh, kind of ego trips. And I remember one of the hardest things over there is actually having a beer with people after the game because it gets yeah. kind of kind of so tribal. And actually, kind of I suppose going back, actually now being a bit older and wiser, and not having quite the quite the ego maybe or whatever it was. <laughs> is actually, I actually quite like some of those people I used to hate. They're <laughs> <laughs> quite good people. Which actually in Guernsey, I think, you know, I don't think you get that same tribalism within the clubs. Yeah. That kind of, that, and I think the social piece is a lot more cohesive than maybe what it is in England. Certainly I can remember one or two dust-ups at Southern League <laughs> dinners that probably shouldn't have happened. But, yeah. And, and then 2020, um, obviously a very strange year so far. Uh, I don't think it's going to change much before the end of the year anyway um, but you, you played the season over here uh, so you played for Wanderers um, and Wanderers Rovers um, how do you feel the game do you think it's changed at all from uh, you know when you last properly played in Ireland yeah, yeah no I think most kids I was coaching are a bit <laughs> taller, most of them are shaving now I mean the game's the game's going forward and I think it was good to see you know, it's good to have a lot of people on island and and playing and and doing that. And I think, I mean, I just, I think this year was more of a collective achievement of community and everything else in every sense. You know, being the first game of cricket 
to be played in the UK was great um, and I think there was a real sense of appreciation uh, of what people do have in here I mean it's an, you know you've got outstanding facilities yeah there's there's great commitment there is great community cohesion there's there's people that want to that, that want to be successful um, and kind of it was always in, in some ways if you look at the ingredients of Guernsey it was always a, a year where Guernsey was going to flourish because every, everyone was here there was a little bit of adversity which galvanised everyone um, but actually we had this incredible privilege to, to to go about our lives in a way that people around the world couldn't and I think that probably helped people appreciate everything that Guernsey does have to offer um, and actually you know as, as, as lots of people will know you know for anyone who runs a team getting teams out has been increasingly harder over the last 15 years and suddenly this having this whole thing of actually uh, too many players to pick from yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I, what I really hope is that everyone kind of values uh, you know the, the opportunity and the privilege they have to play cricket because if you do go to India and you know parts of Africa and, and places like that for us to be walking out on a on a perfectly manicured piece of grass and yeah, yeah. And, and to have cricket organised for us and to be able to play that is an incredible privilege that a lot of people would, would just well, th- would never you sort of touched it there but I think in in Guernsey we're spoiled because we don't even have to in the UK you go and put out the boundary rope or you, you go and put out the boundary markers whereas in Guernsey you, you turn up and uh, I think some people are annoyed if the stumps aren't in the ground and, and everything's done for you um, so which yeah I, that's I, part of the challenge because it's almost too easy sometimes that, that people then don't always take the ownership of it yeah they could but yeah I mean there's no point in anyone trying to be something they're not and Guernsey has to kind of I suppose be the best Guernsey version of of itself that it can and, and not try and be the UK because they're different contexts I mean yeah, the UK yeah. the UK uh, you can always you can always get a team out but finding five grand's worth of sponsorship was, uh, was yeah. almost impossible you can always find five grand's worth of sponsorship here but getting a team out <laughs> for the challenge sometimes so. and then looking forward to the future anything on the horizon you got plans or <sighs> except for looking after no, your brother yeah, no, now, yeah. now he's trying to relocate yeah no, yeah. <laughs> yeah more children <laughs> um, no, I think it's, it's. I mean, the sports commission is a massive focus at the moment, you know, and I think sport has a has a massive opportunity um, to really step up. Um, I think it's always it's always done a great job and everything else, but we've got a great opportunity now to clarify our message to the community of the role it plays, but also to get stuck in because we'll have the resource um, to to actually prove that sports sport does change change lives and there's a there's a huge amount of uh young people here who do need sport um in a way i suppose that that, that i did in in some ways when i was younger um but also who don't access it and we've got a really important role to make sure that every single child and young person and and adult has an opportunity to access sport and physical activity in a way um that 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 they that they're owed really because there's no good at you know providing sport for for the for the same group of people five times over and and a whole lot of people not being able to access it yeah. so yeah. you know we're incredibly passionate about trying to make sure that children whose lives and people whose lives do need the support of of sport and need that focus actually get that and and get the support to access it yeah no and then and then just to finish off um just a couple of uh quick fire things so so who's it, just off the cuff, who's the greatest player you've you've ever played with? 
Greatest player I ever played with for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Socially? Or... Yeah. Uh, I was thinking more of the, the playing yeah. aspect. But... Uh, I suppose, yeah, walking out, walking out with Robin Smith onto, onto a pitch. And him, I tell you, a wonderful memory. Him, I was fielding at third man. He was captain. We had a league 11 at whatever they were for four. And uh, Robin waving me up from third man to third slip, checking I was all right. And you know, you're right at the third slip. I said, oh, I prefer second. <laughs> and him moving to second slip, to third slip and me going into second. And Mark Garraway riffing me and going, who the f- do you think you are to <laughs> test match legend <laughs> to shunt out a second slip for you? <laughs> So yeah, no, Robin was great. But then David Saker, I was very lucky enough to have a lot of time with in Australia. He was a real great mole model, role model. Kind of definitely played the bad cop to me for a while, toughened me up, but a huge <laughs> amount of respect for. And then uh, the sort of toughest opponent or even the teammate? Toughest opponent, the teammate. <sighs> I don't know. It's a difficult one, loads, really. I mean, actually, you think about playing club cricket on some horrible, crappy wickets with some yeah. dibbly-dobbly medium paces. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm going to wind him up, but someone like Mark Renner <laughs> would actually be, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, the, some of those bowlers. So, yeah, I mean, horses for courses, someone running in bowling. I mean, very lucky to have played against Devon Malcolm and Brett Lee and a couple of others when they were bowling quite quickly. Um, but equally, going into club cricket and finding some dibbly-dobbly bowlers on wet yeah. green tops with long outfields, every bit as challenging as well. And then you, you mentioned there, but the quickest bowler you've ever faced... Yeah, I faced one ball from Shoab <laughs> <laughs> on a trip. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, uh, Brett Lee, Devon Malcolm, they're all quick. Um, Duncan Spencer actually played a league cricket against, um, who was rapid, and Nancy Hayward bowled some really, yeah. really, really quick spells. And there was a guy, Jerry Snarman, who played for Namibia, who bowled quite. So quite when Guernsey quick, played so, Namibia? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I kind of never really the pace bit I was actually quite enjoyed because uh, it meant that I didn't have to hit it quite so hard <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then with that um, the sort of hardest trainer or the hardest worker um, that, you, that you've either A worked with as a coach uh, or B oh, there's a player there's a guy Jerry Dowling and I've still got a bat at home so he's Jerry Dowling played at the club I played at in Australia and he was just a legend. You know, <laughs> at Christmas party, he'd read a poem, he'd write a poem about the club and all the people in it, and he'd read that out. But every training, like, you, you'd turn up to training in Australia and you'd have uh, a whole load of extra physical stuff you'd have to do. You'd have to do your laps, do your shuttles, do your, do your, your body weight stuff. But, uh, and everyone would kind of rock up in their trainers or maybe get changed into their spikes to do it. Jerry Dowling, every session, did the whole thing in full batting kit. <laughs> and it was, he was just a legend. And, and, he, and he did it harder and tougher than anyone else. Um, so, yeah, and he, and he wrote on the back of my bat, actually, they gave me as a leaving present, hard work pays off. And I've still got that at home in a, in a little cabinet. So not, yeah. not a bad motto. Absolute legend, Jerry Dowling. No, excellent. And uh, thanks very much for, for taking some time out and, and jumping on. Appreciate that. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. asking me. Thank Privilege. you. Cheers. Cheers, Phillips. Thank you for listening to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe button and keep listening. Shoot me down